You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. Today on the episode, once again, Dr. Paul Leffler is joining us to talk this time about influenza vaccine. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me. Paul, we are in a new year and we know that there'll be a flu vaccine and flu season ahead of us. What are the key messages that you'd like to get out there for GPs going into flu season? Well, generally, I think GPs do a really good job of vaccinating their at-risk patients for flu. I mean, we have a robust program and GPs uh, come into it energetically. And we know that because here in Western Australia, we ship almost 400,000 doses of vaccine. And the vast majority of that goes to GP practices. So I think having said that, then we look at the things that we could still improve on, even though we're generally doing a good job. And one of those areas, I would say, is vaccinating children under five. Vaccination rates in WA last year for children under five flu vaccination rates were about 20%, 19%. And that's really a shame because young children have some of the highest hospitalization rates, in fact, the highest hospitalization rates of any age group. And many of the children that end up in ICU don't have a pre-existing medical conditions. About 50% of children that end up seriously ill from flu will have been, you wouldn't have identified them as an at-risk child beforehand. So that would be one of the areas that if we could improve on that in the coming year, that would be fantastic. And are you thinking targeting particularly under fives or the under tens or or all children? Well, the under fives are the biggest risk and it's really the uh, six-month, one-year-olds that are the ones that will get hospitalized. Mm. So it's really going for those young children. And the, I guess the good thing is they're often hitting the GP practice for other reasons at those very young ages, whether it be other immunizations they're scheduled for or minor illnesses. And, and we know a minor illness is not a contraindication uh, to vaccination. Mm. So we really need to look for those opportunities in the vaccination season, which precedes winter, to get those kids protected against flu. The other area that I think is really important is pregnant women. And again, I think uh, GPs have heard that message, but we're running somewhere maybe 60, 70% coverage of our pregnant women in WA for flu vaccination. And that's a real missed opportunity for those women we don't reach because the World Health Organization's determined that pregnant women are the highest priority group. If you're a country that's going to start a flu vaccination program, you should start with pregnant women is what you say, because the benefits have been well established now both for the women and their babies in the first months of life. Yeah. So you're really talking about two areas that have, I guess, they're sort of more recent targeting areas for the flu vaccine. And we're seeing success, but there could be more success, basically, by by more broad population immunisation. I think we have the 65s and over are well-versed in showing up to the GP and getting their annual flu vaccine. And that's sort of something that runs on autopilot almost. But these newer groups are sometimes a challenge. Whose responsibility is it and how much time to spend with the parents discussing it, I guess, are are all issues that come into play. Mm. Okay. Just rewinding back through 2018, we saw different vaccines for different populations in Australia for the first time. Why did we sort of see that change in the vaccination, a tri versus tetravalent vaccine, and and what is it going to look like going forward? So that came about because there were studies showing that these two new vaccines that were brought in, uh, Fluad and Fluzone High Dose, which are both specifically licensed for 65s and over to stimulate an immune system that is somewhat somnolent. And that's why they were brought in to really help address 
the immunosenescence that happens in older people. And that was a good thing, but I think it led to some confusion because we had just introduced the quadrivalence like a year or two before, mm-hmm. and we're saying that was the better option because it had two B strains. And then for 65-year-olds and up, we went back to a trivalent that was adjuvanted or a high dose mm-hmm. in order to try and overcome that. So I think there was a mixed message to GPs and, and the public, in fact, about what was really the best for their patients. And the key message really is around the high dose rather than the valency, isn't it? That you need a stronger dose to stimulate the immune system and get the response. And if you're giving it to younger people, you've got sort of more of a, a reaction that you don't want. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the benefit and the greater immune response for the elderly in the adjuvanted or the high dose outweigh the fact that it doesn't have that second B strain. Mm. Because in fact, that second B strain, we're really doing that to hedge our bets. We don't know which one might be the front runner, but often we get it right. And there can be no benefit to that second B strain if it doesn't circulate at all. So for those people that can get the quad, absolutely. But if you're in the older age groups, I would recommend the enhanced vaccines, as we're calling enhanced TIVs. Yeah, great. So we talked briefly about childhood vaccine. What would you say to the mother that's sort of coming and hiring about getting their kids vaccinated? What are the the real benefits that we see? Well, I would say that uh, highest hospitalization rates and in young children like that and studies from Western Australia that would show it's 80% protective, keeping kids out of the hospital and keeping them from getting flu. That's pretty powerful. The flu vaccine, it's not one of our best vaccines, to be honest, as far as its effectiveness. So when you're seeing 80% protection, that's a population the vaccine works in. And is the vaccine safe? I think that's the elephant in the room, really. Is it safe for children? And I would point to the fact that at least in in the U.S., they've been vaccinating kids six months of age and older since 2002 and have never had a safety issue. That wasn't our situation in Australia in 2010 when we had a problem with one brand that is now not registered for that group and now actually manufactured differently to make it safer. So in the early days of WA's program in 2007 and 2008, we used to get about 45% of the kids vaccinated and and we've dropped when I say we've gone down to 20%. And I think the parents that were around at the time of that safety scare, many of them, their kids have grown up through that age group and they've sort of moved on. So I think the reticence or the concern is remaining with the providers. Mm. And so in talking to GPs, I I really want you to think about it and weigh up the hospitalization in young kids and the potential benefit with the safety record for all other brands that's been going for decades in this young cohort. Yeah, it's an important message. And I think the comfort's coming. It's just taken a long time, hasn't it? Yes. And we saw last year, every other jurisdiction in Australia followed WA's lead and started paying for influenza vaccines for all kids under six months to five years of age. So what was a little bit disappointing to see is they actually got higher vaccination rates than, than we did after we've led the country for so long in this program. But again, I think it's our some of our clinicians are a little bit gun shy after what happened in 2010. Mm. Okay, so looking forward now, Paul, and I I still remember your quote from one of our first podcasts, you've seen one flu season, you've seen one flu season. (laughs) So we've got a little look at the Northern Hemisphere. What's it look like up in the Northern Hemisphere and what does that mean for us? Well, they've had a pretty routine flu season, meaning moderate at this point, but I don't really hang that much uh, credence on what's happened in the season above. Obviously, if it was a horrific flu season uh, and you thought it was new strains that were going to come down, yeah, maybe it'd be more important. But I don't go the other way because they've had a mild one or a moderate one. I don't say it's going to be that way here. The flu virus changes. And I think there's a lot we don't understand about the epidemiology of flu. The fact that that 2009 pandemic strain is still circulating 10 years out. 
is pretty it's impressive. Bizarre, isn't it? yeah, yeah, is that it's that it came on the scene and it's still around. So there's a lot we don't understand. And towards that, I'd really like to ask the GPs help. And that is, Australia has the ability to really answer some of the important questions about vaccine effectiveness for flu season. With the air register now covering all the way to adults, we should have a comprehensive record of who gets flu vaccines every year. And we can uh, match that with flu testing to actually determine the effectiveness of the flu vaccine. And it would be useful in several ways in, in different population groups. Or what's the best timing for flu vaccines? Are we better going closer to flu season? We think we are, but we could use more data. What's the best strategy? Is a flu vaccine every year? We think it is, but we could confirm that. And so I really think that it'd be great if GPs made sure all the flu vaccinations they give to someone of any ages go into the register so that they could be used for this purpose later. Yeah, that's a really important message. I think Perhaps there are people out there who haven't thought recording adult vaccines is important, but recording those adult vaccines into the software really helps the understanding and the management of flu more broadly in the whole country. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, first and foremost, it's the patient's permanent vaccination record. And that patient may always go to your practice, but they may not, or they may show up in an emergency room at some time and, and someone needs it. So we should be doing it for the patient care aspects. But in addition to that, we have a real opportunity here in Australia to better understand flu, this important illness, and more importantly, better understand how we can prevent it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's go to perhaps some of the more the deeper questions around flu vaccine we're thinking about something that that influenza vaccine's been around since the 1940s they were immunizing soldiers going to war in world war ii you know are we winning the fight against influenza and why are we still fighting this fight basically i would say partly so this will probably be the most controversial thing i i say here today and that is i think many of the flu vaccines we're using are still using that 1940s technology We attenuate it, grow it up in eggs, purify it, split it, and inject it. So really what they were doing in the 40s and then sort of perfected through the 60s. And you're starting to see new ones come on board where they grow it in different types of cells uh, and other things. But I think we need to take this to the next level with uh, vaccine engineering and try and find targets on the flu virus that don't change every year the way our current targets do. We target the neuraminidase and the hemagglutinin, and those are are really labile uh, parts of the flu virus. And while they've been effective, they make it difficult to develop a vaccine that's super effective and also will last for years. And I think that's where we need to go in vaccine science. The problem is when we've created a system where we're buying lots of vaccine every year, there's not really a incentive on the part of manufacturers to change what we're doing, mm. right? Because this is, because if we all, if you only need to get a vaccine every five years, yeah. um, it, it changes the market forces, but it's what we need to do for the science and what we need to do to better protect people. So are we winning is the question. I'd say we're winning. But the battle's far from over. We've got to fight it every year. Yeah. We've certainly, now we have uh, antivirals that can assist in keeping people from dying. Our use of flu vaccines in pregnant women, which show that you can protect the newborn infant, good protection in the first few months of life. It's a profound development where we used to say, don't give pregnant women vaccines. Now we're saying, yeah, do it because you're going to protect the young baby when they're really vulnerable. Because, you know, we can't give a flu vaccine to a child under six months. None of them are registered for that. So making sure we get the pregnant women so she can transfer the antibodies is really important. Mm. And do you ever see eradication or 
a cure? Is, is, no. is that just unrealistic? No. So there, in my view, there'll never be eradication of the flu. And this is why, because it lives in wild birds. Yeah. There's so many strains out there, and it, we're never going to eradicate it from its natural, natural host, poultry. So we, we may get better at producing vaccines that work across many strains when we discover those uh, proteins and other things that are conserved. So we may get much better vaccines, and I hope we do, but we'll always have flu to contend with, I, I think. And I just hope we get those better vaccines before we have our next pandemic. Mm. Paul, been a wealth of information as usual. Thank you so much, and thanks for the great work with fighting infectious diseases. I want to thank the GPs that help us get it done. We have a lot of support for vaccinations, and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. 